I think one of the things about love and humanity in work is asking people how they are and then really sticking around long enough to hear the answer. So there's something for me about how are you and then waiting and saying, now, how are you really? The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to episode 106 of the Love in Action podcast, the show where we explore the intersection of business leadership and practical love. Love the verb, love in action. Glad you could join us. We're now heard around the world in 150 countries. If this episode strikes a chord, please share it with a friend and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Today's show is front and center at at the very essence of our theme of leading with practical love. You know, I've been banging on this drum for years that if you infuse more love and care and kindness and compassion into your business, your workplace, in how you treat one another, how you treat your customers, and then how you look after and develop your employees, it creates tremendous value and it just makes great business sense. Now, I can say that as you know, Marcel's opinion, and this is Marcel's ideology for a perfect business world, but you know, I'm not the only one. Countless business books by best-selling authors have been written on the topic, proposing for a more caring, conscious human approach to leadership. But you know what? Opinion alone doesn't cut it, right? I mean, we need to back it up with evidence. We need the data to validate the premise that love works. Well, not too many people do research specific to love at work or love in leadership. I mean, I can count them in one hand. My guest today is one of them, and I'm honored that she's here. Helena Clayton joins us to share what she has found in her research, and we're going to explore the idea that she and I very much share, that love is at the heart of leadership. We're also going to explore the answer to the question, what might be possible in your organization when leaders lead with love? And what might leading from love look like in practice? We're going to tackle all of that. Helena Clayton now joins us all the way from the UK. Helena, it's so great to have you. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast. Thank you. And it is so good to be here. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I've been looking forward to it Mm. for a while as well. So we always kick off our conversations uh, with this. What's your story? Mm, Yeah. So. I guess there's something about what brought me to be researching, writing, running programs about love in leadership. So I've been working in organizations in leadership development as a coach and as a facilitator for, I don't know, 25 years or so. And as a coach and working with groups in organizations, it's quite a privileged position because people allow you to see under the bonnet and tell you things that they don't speak to their manager about or colleagues or partners at home. And What I was seeing in organizations was a lot of struggle and difficulty and pain and anguish and stress and anxiety and fear. But in parallel to my working life, I've always been involved in some kind of 
personal growth, some of it quite deep dive, experiential, leading edge stuff. And there, many of which programs are based on spiritual traditions, there I would see time and time again that when people struggle, pain, stress, uh, was brought to the group or to the work. And when it was met with love, then there was healing. Not that it was healed, right? But good things happened. There was more ease in their system. So I just got increasingly interested. How can the love in practice that was happening here, how could it find its way into organizations? Because it really looked, still does, that they need it. So that was my starting point, really. Yeah. One of the things that strikes me about that is, I think you share this with me, is the whole reason why I preach love in action from a business standpoint is to alleviate suffering in the workplace. I've heard that come out of your mouth already because people are, I mean, there are studies upon studies that say that a place of fear and toxicity lends to bad health outcomes for workers who now are dealing with so much stress and so much anxiety that it literally affects their health. Even uh, one study that I read that it had led to heart disease and even cardiac arrest for some. That study came out of Sweden a few years ago. So I so much appreciate what you're doing, that, that we have now somebody that is still, is, again, is a, another person that's pointing to the fact that we need more love at work. So thank you for all you do. I want to ask you, at what point, though, did you, did just all of a sudden, it just come, it, it all came together for you? What point did you decide, okay, I, I need to do this research right now? Well, it's a, it, it is interesting because I was working with a small group of colleagues in a, an action learning set. We were going to be researching a topic. And I, <laughs> I literally woke up one morning and thought, I can't even remember what I was going to be researching. And I thought, I suddenly thought, I have to research love. It's love that I'm really interested in. And I was, it was like an electric something going through me. I knew categorically this was where my work was. So I went back to my group and said, oh my word, I'm so excited. I'm going to be researching love from now on. And they looked at me as if I was, yeah. So it didn't go down well. People said, well, you don't, you don't mean love, though, do you, Helena? You, you mean compassion? I said, no, no, no love. They said, oh, but you'll probably end up looking at employee engagement, right? I said, no, definitely not. So I found then, and it's less so now, because I think over the last few years, something has opened up that means we are just a little more okay about talking about love. But I still find people's responses to considering talking about love in the workplace so mixed. Some people, they sit forward straight away. They want to, they're really intrigued. They definitely know there's something there for them. Others just want to face plant and leave the room. And many people have told me I'm patently wrong to be talking about love because love has no place in the workplace. So reactions are really mixed, but there are enough people around who say, tell me more. I'd like to talk about this too. Yeah, yeah. So we know that even the word love in itself is a, mm. is a very broad umbrella term. So I know that we're going to ease some of the discomfort in our listeners right mm -hmm. now. <laughs> what do you mean by love and in the workplace? Do you have a definition? You know, love, when we think about and talk about it in relation to the workplace, we're on tricky ground straight away because 
the word love comes with connotations of religion, of romance, or inappropriate sexual conduct in some way, or sentiment. So there's something about sort of clearing that out of the way so we can look at love in a different way. I mean, arguably a secular way. And the piece of research I did a couple of years ago, I started off by asking people about love without defining it. And this was what was one of the things that was interesting. Even without defining it, people could answer the questions. So there's something about even without defining it, we know what we mean by love. And somebody, Charles Eisenstein, talks about that when we define something really narrowly, we risk kind of losing the nuance of it. Nevertheless, it is wholly useful to have some kind of grasp over what we mean by it. So in the research I did, there were a handful of things that came out very strongly um, when I asked, what does love mean for the workplace? The first was a kind of a cluster of words that I shorthand with care. So perhaps no surprise at all. So care, meaning nurture, compassion, empathy. The second one, though, that was quite a surprise was listening. Mm. So people saw and felt that being really well listened to, when somebody gives you your their full attention, that was love. And that shows, I think that's pretty rare in the workplace. But also in there was holding strong boundary. So people saw very clearly that a form of love was setting high standards, holding people to account, saying no. And then we come on to the more humanistic perhaps aspects of acceptance really accepting people for all of who they are so those are just four strands that came out yeah. very clearly love it so let's link now love to leadership i mean what part mm. does love play in people in leadership roles yeah that's a great question so funny enough just this morning i was running a a leading and love program an in-house program for an organization and we were talking about this here So the the first is whether you hold the belief that as a leader, it's your job to attend to the human dimensions of leadership, because so often leadership is considered to be around the what of leadership, you know, achievements, targets, strategy, results. And of course it is performance, productivity, but also obviously leadership is also so, so much about the how of leadership. How do I show up as a person? What culture do I create in my wake around me? How do we recognize that the people we work alongside or the people who work for us are not just, you know, rational, technical beings? In fact, we're far from that, right? We are messy, emotional, irrational beings with anxieties, fears, hopes, dreams, aspirations. So one thing is whether as a leader we can accept, believe, fully embrace that that's our job to also attend to the deeply human parts of the people around us. Yeah. You know, I was looking at the research summary that you sent me and you asked the participants the question, how important is love in the workplace? You know, and it's great. It's a great overarching question to get, you know, your different sentiments and feelings around that. And I was astounded. Nearly 95, well, I shouldn't be really, when you think about it, as human beings, that 95%, nearly 95% of respondents felt that love at work was either very important or important. And some of the responses you got were things like, humans work best in a loving environment. Love is a core human need. And another response you got was, love helps us feel safe. 
And when we feel safe, we are able to, to be ourselves and take risks. I mean, that's a chapter right out of Amy Edmondson's uh, research and, and book on psychological safety. But here's the part of the research, Helena, that really got me. You asked the question, what would it be like if love were present? And I get that you asked this question because you wanted to kind of tap into maybe what are the rewards or benefits of love at work? So I want to drill down on what you found is these, these common themes that kind of popped up in the research because they're packed with examples of what people want, what people need, what they hope for, and what they desire in order to flourish. And I can't wait to get into that. Elena and I are going to tackle that topic after a short break. Don't go anywhere. Hey, leaders and managers, Marcel here. You probably already know this if you've been following the show. The question comes up often. What's the purpose of this show? What's the why behind love and action? Well, the simple answer, we need to eliminate suffering in the workplace and help leaders to flourish. Because when we have good leaders in place, the people under their care also flourish. That is really good for business. And by the way, as an extension of the podcast, I launched a leadership development course. It's got a catchy name. Check it out on my website. It's called From Boss to Leader. And in this course, I teach the skills that you often hear on the show. Things like how to communicate more effectively, how to engage your employees to put out their best effort, and how to build a high-performing organization. So check it out. I'm taking calls right now. And I'd love to personally chat with you to see if this course may be a good fit. Reach me on my website, marcelschwantes.com, and click on virtual training. So you discovered some themes when you explored the question, what would it be like if love were present? I would love for you to unpack that for us. Great. I mean, it's a lovely, yeah, lovely thing to talk about. And I visualize it and, and the, the, the data showed itself in this way as sort of concentric circles. So the first thing people said kind of collectively was, actually, I'd be a better version of me. You know, there's, I would shine more brightly. I would be more able to be my best self more often. So people felt so clearly that actually I would benefit personally. They also then went on to say that from that sense of self, self-confidence, best self, I'd be able to push myself more. You know, mm. I would make braver decisions. I'd be less fearful. I'd be bolder. And they also then, the third kind of theme was around, it would also mean that I would be less competitive with other people. I would collaborate more. There would be more trust, more sharing. There'd be more giving between us. So now we're starting to move out from this sense of I would benefit to, ooh, we would benefit. We would start working differently. And then the, the fourth thing they said, which really speaks to business impact, is if I was better and we worked differently to better, if we worked differently and better together, then what would happen? And this is a kind of a direct quote, which I love, is that, the quote is, unusual responses to pervasive and complex challenges would emerge. 
And there's something so powerful there because we know we're in VUCA, complex, crazy times. So people could see that more love would help directly with managing ourselves and our organizations through these very, very messy, difficult times. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so recapping sort of the themes that popped up. It's the self, like I would bring the best version of myself. Mm -hmm. And so that's in, in connection to you. And then our teams and our maybe peer-to-peer relationships would be more meaningful, more open, more loving, of course, and make that make that stronger. And then, of course, the third one, then, if you're bringing your best self to work and if your peers and coworkers and you are working really good together, that's going to relate well to the, a business outcome. And that's the third one. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, right. And it's then we start thinking about, ooh, the links with creativity and innovation and learning to do things differently, right? The research participants saw that thread, that line of sight really clearly. Is it safe to say that if you buy into this approach of spreading love, it's almost like it's contagious, that people can't Mm -hmm. help but spread it because they see the benefits of a loving, kind, compassionate workplace. And, And so, of course, you want to replicate more of it. Right. Like a virtuous cycle, right? Love connects with love. Love breeds love. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And people could see that through the research. Yeah. 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 Okay. So give me an example. Let's paint a picture here. Maybe you have a story to back this up. But if I was to walk into an organization, you know, with love embedded into its culture, I mean, what would I see modeled? What would I experience maybe day to day? So one of the blogs I wrote a year or so ago, maybe two years ago now, was based on a quote from an American pastor called John Mark Comer. And he says, you can't be a hurried person and a loving person. Now, I know that's true for me, that when I work at a frenetic pace, when I ricochet from one thing to the next, my capacity to connect with love, to be loving is reduced hugely. And what I see in our organizations is people working, not just at pace, but at an unsustainable pace under a lot of pressure. So I think that if we walked into an organization that had love at its heart, I think we'd see less frenetic busyness. I think there would be more, we would see people talking as human beings, hanging out together. And this is so on the cusp of looking like people wasting time, but people just getting to know each other as people Um, connecting, talking together in a kind of reflective, inquiring, curious way, being interested in each other, giving each other time to be curious about what they're working on or thinking about or feeling. I think we would see uh, organizations that just had a bit more space and time for really good quality connection and dialogue. Yeah, I agree. I want to counterbalance this conversation because we've been talking about some soft and fuzzy, fuzzy mm-hmm. terms and, and even the topic itself, love, is very fuzzy and soft and, and warm. And, and I know that there's people that are saying, you know, this will never work for my organization. We, we need results. We need to drive people to perform. And we have stakeholder expectations. And we have just, the, you know, the, the business cannot withstand too much love because then people would just come to work expecting that, hey, this is, a, this is just going to be a, a party every day. And they wouldn't put out the effort required for a business to meet business expectations. So what would you say to that 
sort of skeptical CEO or, or maybe a chief people officer or even a board that's saying, uh, no, that, that's, that's a little too soft for us. We, mm. you know, we, we, need to, we need people to, we need to light a little fire under people's behinds. They might believe that, you know, employee engagement does work and that you should be able to help people succeed on the job, right? Give them resources and tools, et cetera. But love, that is going a little bit, a little bit too far out of my, our range and our comfort zone. What would you say to those people about the difference that love could make in their organization? Well, I think there are many, many people who would say exactly what you just said, Marcel. Many people. So it's not a, an imaginative thing. It's a very real thing. So I suppose a couple of things occur to me. One is there is a, for me anyway, working in the field of organizational development where the values are really strong around inclusion, participation, democracy, valuing the human in the system. For me, it's a question of uh, what is our leadership philosophy? You know, what are the assumptions that we make about organizations, what work is, what work should be, how we should treat people? And one of the splits we see in organizations is those people who see organizations and therefore by extension people as machines versus and those who see organizations as human systems. Okay, so here's, here's the thing. When I work with senior leaders on leadership style, one of the things that I often do is talk to the leader about their relationship with love and where does love show up for them in their lives and what did they learn about themselves? What did they learn, sorry, about love from their life so far? And one of the places, and this will sound even more soft and woo for some of your listeners perhaps, is that when a leader, an individual, can connect themselves to a sense of what they need by way of love or compassion or understanding or humanity, when a leader can connect to their own humanity and love, then I think it's much, much easier for them to relate to other people with love and compassion and empathy. So that's a pretty woolly way of answering your question, I think. But yeah. I wonder if it's backing up the conversation to not so much the leaders that we have now that may have an allergic reaction mm. to what we're talking about, but it's backing up to what kind of leaders do we want to hire and promote within our organizations, right? So it could be that it doesn't work for your company right now because yep. of your current management structure. Yep. It would not withstand the weight of love because they don't, the, the mindset and the belief system is not there. And I think that's right. And my work, for example, you know, sometimes people say to me, well, what about those people who are anti-love? And I think, well, they're not for me. There's no point in me trying to bash my head against somebody who is vehemently and vocally anti-love. For me, it's better to work with somebody who says, huh, now I have some cynicism about it, but I'm interested and open. Tell me more. That is a door that I'm really happy to, you know, open and help open. But where the doors are firmly locked, that's, yeah. Yeah, it goes right back to, I think that you have to have the right people in place open enough and curious right. enough to want to explore the possibilities of love and leadership. Mm. So that brings me to the question, and I'm wondering you, I mean, you mentioned cynicism. Mm. I mentioned belief system. What blocks love from showing up in our organizations? Then there's some lovely stuff here. So, for example, 
we've talked already about the pace and the hurried and the focus on efficiency and machine-like production. That blocks love, you know, the, the pace and the that we work at. Something else that blocks love is the idea of slow trauma and the research on adverse childhood experiences, which it said uh, research indicates that between 40 and 60% of us as young people, young children, have experienced some form of slow trauma, which could be as mundane as your parents divorcing, but also could be something like poverty, being raised in poverty, through to some of the less common and things like having violence or abuse in your family or alcoholism or a parent in prison or being on the receiving end of some form of abuse. And research would seem to indicate that in order to survive that kind of slow trauma, we cut ourselves off, we protect ourselves from our tender parts, our more more vulnerable parts. And the research would seem to indicate that that may mean that we have more difficulty connecting with love. Mm. So if we think then that many of the people around us in organizations may have experienced like this, experienced stuff like this, it's no wonder that there may be some lack of immediate or easy connection with love. And that then brings in a compassionate response. It's like, well, I'm not going to kind of force love on you as if we could. So there's something about understanding people's experience of trauma. But also I think there's, you know, love is seen as women's work. And so I think love is gendered, which gets in the way because women through the generations, care and loving or care has often been seen as their domain in the home. And when women entered the workplace, some lovely research says that women didn't want to take the burden of care into the workplace. So women say, well, I don't want to be the one that is the loving one here. But men don't want it either because it's seen as women's work. So this lovely book called Why Work Won't Love You Back sort of Mm. paints a picture of, so therefore nobody is picking up love in organizations. Everyone thinks it's somebody else's job. Yeah, so lots, lots of things that block love. And, you know, legit, fair enough. <laughs> you know, the cynicism, the questioning, the really love and work, it's welcome because the actor in the UK, we have a, a, an actor not with us anymore, Kenneth Williams, who says love is the most awful invasion of privacy. Mm. So it's like, yeah, it is. And many people quite rightfully don't want that privacy invaded at work. You know, in my own research, I have found that the strengths of a good leader come from this balance of having the more feminine side, which is the relational side of leadership that, you know, that speaks to what we're talking about. And you counter that with the task oriented side of leadership that is more masculine driven traits. And when you combine both together, you have, uh, I think, the, the, uh, a, a good case for building up leaders, but we are in a society where we lack more of the feminine traits that lend to love and care. And we have we tend to go so far on the other side that these masculine traits now are becoming hyper-masculine traits mm-hmm. where they become a detriment to a work environment. They show up in narcissism, micromanagement, you know, command and control. And the unfortunate thing to me is that Women that have natural leadership tendencies are picking up these cues from these hyper-masculine traits that are bottled in corporate, corporate society. And 
they're doing a disservice to themselves because they are losing sort of that capacity to lead from their natural strengths of the, from the feminine side of, of emotional intelligence, care and empathy and compassion. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's really interesting territory, this. And the idea of masculine traits or feminine traits don't align with gender, of course. You know, yin and yang leadership, those capacities are in men and in women. But, you know, I think, well, I, I firmly believe that men have as strong a desire for connection as women do. I was working with the chief exec once and he showed me a picture. He was a, you know, a really senior, um, hardcore, masculine chief exec on the outside. He showed me a picture of a little baby chick, just a tiny baby chick. And he said, I want you to know that's me on the inside. And I've never forgotten that. And it's served me well, because when I am working with gnarly, I don't know, senior men, who I might find intimidating, I just think, hang on, talk. <laughs> Talk to the chick. So I think the the core need, you know, love is a core human need, and that's for everybody. So for me, I try and find that connection, find that in the person. I totally agree with you, and I, I'm so glad you brought it up because I think that in our human design, our human, at the core of who we are, we have the capacity to love people at work. It's just that decades and centuries of work has dictated that there's no place for love in the workplace or love in leadership. And we have suppressed those natural human tendencies that are inherent in all of us. And so we just kind of have to wake them up because the evidence is there. I mean, you've you're in the middle of the research. I'm in the middle of the research. And there's enough evidence to support that love and care works for business outcomes. We don't have to try to prove that anymore. So I just think that those that operate on those masculine traits or hypermasculine traits, whether you're a man or a woman, you have to realize that you are suppressing those other traits that are more, more natural to good leadership. And those fall under the feminine sort of more the feminine side of the equation. But if you balance things out in your human design, you can have the best of both worlds, men or women. You are able to now lead from both sides of the equation. Absolutely. It feels like we've got into decades and decades of bad habits. They've got kind of tighter and tighter. And perhaps yeah. now we're starting to think about slowly maybe rebalancing. That's how it feels, a, re a potential rebalancing in our organization. Profound. Hey, I read a blog that you actually sent to me where you make the connection. You wrote it, by the way, just making, <laughs> making clear <laughs> that it was your blog. So you make the connection between leadership, love, and hope. And so now I want to talk to you about, that's interesting to me, hope. What role does hope play for leaders in, in a, a day and age where, you know, we're in this post-pandemic, kind of still uncertain what's going to happen to our workplaces. Are we going back to work? Do I have to get vaccinated? All this stuff, all of these variables, these unknowns still, and we're kind of walking on eggshells wondering what's going to happen. So bring hope <laughs> into the conversation. Yeah. And, and hope doesn't mean like a naive optimism at all, actually. And the writer Charles Eisenstein said that it was an act of love to hold for somebody else 
a vision of themselves that was a slightly better version of themselves than they were now when they had forgotten it. So when somebody was so low or depressed or whatever it would be, that they had forgotten how good they were as a person. It was an act of love to hold out the hope that that the person could get through this really tough time. And I think there's something very clear in that for me, that that is an act of leadership. You know, to hold out a vision or a version of tomorrow for somebody or for an organization that points the way to, to the fact that tomorrow could be, could be better than today. And it is worth holding out until tomorrow to see if that is the case. Hmm. You know, so it's not necessarily about, you know, making promises for 20 years down the line, but it's stick around long enough to just let's look at tomorrow together and see what we can see there. Helena, let's make this uh, useful and practical by just giving some useful steps, first steps for any anyone in a leadership or or management role that aspires to lead this way or create a culture this way. Is there a, a maybe one or two obvious steps that they can start with today? Uh, well, I think the the first one is get curious. You know, so I I hold on. I use the word love really, really intentionally. I know that we will end up developing practices that are about compassion and empathy and nurture. But I think if we hold on to a bold word like love, we might end up with compassion. If we start with compassion, we'll end up with a much watered down version of it. So I would say get really curious about the word love. Take an active interest in it. uh, Read about it. Start some conversations with it. I often say to people, because love is such a, a taboo word to use in organizations, I often say, take my research Give that to other people and say something like, I read this piece of research the other day. It's all about love. Have a look at it. I'm not sure what I think. Have a look at it. See what you think. And maybe we can have a coffee and talk about it. So I think it's just start the conversations because, you know, in appreciative inquiry, the phrase, you know, what we think about, we bring about. So just by talking and thinking more about love, I think it just brings it more into the into the picture. I love it. Being curious and expanding your mind and, you know, just kind of exercising that self-awareness to raise your, raise your capacity for uh, just understanding what this whole thing is about rather than ignoring it, rejecting it and just poo-pooing on it, basically. So I love that advice. So before we close, is there any question that I should have asked that I didn't or is there any, any piece of the research that you absolutely must bring up that we haven't covered yet? No, I think we've covered uh, some great territory. But, you know, what I'm really thinking about now in my, in my own kind of, hmm, where does my research take me next? I start to run programs in organizations is how does this become visible and practical and actionable without it becoming like a tick box list or a checklist? So that's the thing I'm getting curious about now is like, how does this really come alive in organizations? Yeah. So good job you didn't ask me that because that's just where my thinking is starting. But that's one of the things that's on my mind. I love it because it's it's a way to safeguard something so precious and sacred from becoming a you know just another program that you're Mm -hmm. going to force down on your employees. I'm not yeah, and I could go in that direction too. That's another episode for another time. So we wrap up Mm -hmm. our conversation today with two questions. Personally. What is really tugging at your heart right now that you would like us to know? Well, this is a, a, a this has been tugging at my heart for a little while. It's around how do I create more space in my life, actually? 
so that I can just be more in nature, with my thoughts, with at the sea, um, to just be more. You know, how can I become much more of a human being than a human doing, which is a trap I very much fall into. So yeah, that's that's always tugging at my heart, actually. Uh, thanks for that. And finally, you get to close us out your way with that one thing, that final takeaway you'd like to bring us home with. I think one of the things about love and humanity in work is asking people how they are and then really sticking around long enough to hear the answer. So there's something for me about how are you and then waiting and saying, now, how are you really? So there's something for me about how do we just keep remembering that there's a lot more beneath the surface to each person that we meet and how can we be interested enough to connect with love and go beneath their surface with them. Ah, so good. So good. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. You've hit the nail on the head for me and everything that I have known to be true already, you just keep, you just keep informing what I already know and informing my thought leadership. And uh, hopefully you've inspired the hearts and minds of those listening today. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great to be in conversation with you, Marcel. Really has. Thank you so much. If people want to connect with you and learn more about you, where can they go? The two immediate places is find me on Twitter. We're at Helena Clayton. And then find my website, helenaclayton.co.uk. You can sign up for my newsletter, see my research, see my blogs. Everything you need will be there. I'll make sure that's all in my show notes on my website, marcelschwantes.com. Thank you again, Helena. Join the conversation and comment on this episode with hashtag love in action podcast. And as I mentioned, I will have my show notes on my website. I'm coming right back with my one action item that you must start doing today based on this conversation. Your action item from today's conversation, well, you just heard it a few minutes ago. The word love in a workplace or business sense is is not seen in a positive light. And of course, a lot of that depends on who is shining the light on the word love. So if you've already made up your mind that love is just a, a preposterous word that has no place in business, well, chances are you're probably not listening to this podcast. For the rest of us who are open to explore possibilities, Helena advised us, and now I'm advising you to get curious, get interested, read about love at work, love in leadership. You know, you can start with Helena Clayton's research, get on her website and subscribe to her newsletter. She said, start conversations at work around the topic of love at work. Want to go one step further? I know this may be a bit of a shameless plug here, but bring someone like Helena or myself to come speak at your organization. We can do lunch and learns. Just something to start building awareness and bringing people together around this idea. So that wraps it up. My special thanks to Helena Clayton for joining us. And thank you, Love and Action Tribe, for joining the conversation. Please spread the love by sharing this episode. And finally, we're always looking for sponsors to help us support this movement and help it to grow. If interested, reach me on my website, marcelschwantes.com, or find me on LinkedIn. 
Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Doing so will help more people to find the podcast so we can keep spreading the Love in Action movement. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and be convinced.